Thank you so much for coming. Um, I've been meaning to do this for so long. Um, for people who don't know, basically, um, we'd been in talks to do this for over a month, I think, and mm. I just kept getting, uh, you know, rescheduled for one reason or the other. Ladies and gentlemen, the great Arafat Mazhar oh on the podcast. <laughs> Finally, um, if if you don't like me just calling out your name, the the bio is itself, I think, going to make you cringe. No, it's okay. I'm used to. I'm used to that part. They've, my team's trained me to take it. Okay. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's not bad. Why <laughs> would they have to train you for that? But anyway, ladies and gentlemen, if you don't know, for whatever reason, uh, first I'm going to ask you why you don't know. But secondly, um, here it is. Arafat Mazhar is the director of Engage Foundation for Research and Dialogue. He's also director for Sherry Pakistan, which produces civic and legal awareness animations. Mm. Um, Hashia History Channel in collaboration with Bristol University, um, which explores historical events to understand their impact on culture and society. Um, Soch Videos, an award-winning online news platform, Puffball Studios. Um, and he has also directed the amazing Urdu animated dystopian short film, Shere Tabassum. Um, and he has another one on the way called Swipe, which I think by the time this video is up, it'll be out. Um, thank you so much for having, uh, for joining me on this. Um, firstly, let's start with Shere Tabassum. I mean, first of all, thank you for having me. Yeah. No, no, it's, it's my me. pleasure. Um, so mm. straight off the bat, um, mm. Shere Tabassum, uh, I, I can see the influences that it's made on, if I'm not wrong. So mm. 1984, um, uh, you know, Brave New World, Blade Runner, all that dystopian stuff. Um, what exactly was your intended message when you made that film? I mean, I think by that time, I, I had been trying to communicate on various fronts this idea of our anxieties in our culture. Uh, what does it mean to be a Pakistani Muslim in Punjab? Um, dealing with our social realities, our re legal realities. Um, so I've been I had been working on the blasphemy laws, related hate speech, doing a lot of uh, project overall on the psychology, theology, Islamic jurisprudence of these things. And I found that our institution was trying to find different forms of telling that same story. And so we had been non in a non-fictional way, whether it was civic education, uh, whether it was you know, explicitly about the law, whether it was um, more about history. I think eventually there was some, there was a need to explore and talk about that anxiety that is more intuitive, that is not about um, uh, an analytical message per se. And to have an allegory that, that can resonate because it's just unfamiliar enough that you don't get defensive, which is obviously it's understandable people can get defensive that don't criticize my culture, which happens a lot. So it's just alien enough for you to feel like, oh, you're not really talking about me, but then familiar enough for you to feel like, okay, are we really headed towards there? Uh, but really it started off with some another story idea that I had first in my mind that, and I felt like around us there was this idea for me, I mean, with the cybercrime uh, bills being passed that what does it happen, what, hap what happens when um, radical Islam and technology and fascist elements of the state, if they get together, because I had already studied how, how the printing press, uh, when it came in, what did it that do for radical Islam and extremist Islam? And Twitter is like a million times more powerful yeah. than a printing press. So Sharat Abbasum, first of all, was a vehicle for me to explore those anxieties. And then uh, I, my ex-wife and I, we were talking and um, we discussed this, uh, this idea of... Uh, Essentially, by now, the message really is corruption of expression and language, right? So 
uh, ishq and honor are really beautiful ideas. Mm-hmm. I mean, I uh, started off my journey, changed my journey to blasphemy because I found myself identifying as an Ashiqui Rasool, but then figuring, okay, but I don't really fit that mold. So what happened to ishq in our society, in our culture? And why does it look different in Morocco? Why, does based, why is it based on retribution? Why, or violence, yeah. 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 And why does, why does it look different in Turkey when they're celebrating yeah. Ishq Rasool? And honor, I mean, the association right away, why is it killing? So how is it virtue if there's violence? So what we wanted to do was like, so what, what, what the theory then became was academically and something that I'm interested in my, for my PhD as well, that if you take a word and you really crush it and force it to hold only one meaning, uh, and then it not only loses its aesthetic, its virtue, it becomes an instrument of control. It's corrupted. and be- So s- the smile in this case w- became an allegory for love, honor in our culture that you forced it to mean loyalty and only one thing, and now it's no longer going to serve its purpose. And not only that, it becomes an instrument of control. So Ishki Rasul is now is an instrument of control. It's lost its beauty. Planting a tree is not Ishki Rasul. Um, being kind is not Ishq Rasul. It's not seen as such. But using that to win votes, so that's an instrument of control. So that really became, at the end of the day, the principal driving force of telling the story. Everything else, the genre, the setting, was secondary. First and foremost, it was like, okay, we're talking about corruption of expression and that becoming an instrument of control. And the important part was it should be about us. It should be for us, by us, and for the people to explore ki hamari kya what is what are our anxieties yeah that i mean it's a beautiful beautiful uh, short thank film you. thank um, you um and and the brilliance of it is that like you said something that's so it should be in its essence so innocent and innocent and beautiful like smiling hmm. or ashiqui rasool it's been corrupted yeah and it's become this this mad thing yeah. um full of violence and and everything that's associated with it um so how uh, you that so swipe is a continuation of 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 that basically that in that um, inherent idea it, idea yes but so it's not like a sequel not even a spiritual yeah. sequel yeah but it is the same idea but now i'm exploring the other end okay. so the same group of people who get to who are forcing me or forcing you that honor and ish should mean this. So what they're doing is they're, let's say, forcing it. Let's say ish could have meant eight things. They forced it to mean n is equal to one, only one. On the other hand, let's say that's ishq, that's ghazi, that's hubbe, um, watan, a patriot. All of those things are being forced to only this can be a patriot. Now, what about the flip side? So there's a theory, uh, University of Virginia has done a lot of research on it. In, fa- in fact, Zan Malvi is involved with it, who was one of my co-founders with me, uh, which looks into this, these three ideas that, okay, something used to hold eight meanings. What if it holds infinite meanings? So, Shatim Rasul, Ghaddar, traitor, blasphemer. If any, any, so that the society will collapse into in itself. So swipe is an exploration of the other end of this. So that was an exploration of forcing something to hold only one value, one meaning. This is more of an exploration of a society absolutely going absurd, that everything is being a traitor, everything is being a ghadar, everything is being a heretic. So inherent insecurity in, in every corner, in every, uh, you know, because I think that's something that maybe I want your take on. Hmm. Do you think that as we're ironically hmm. losing everything that it truly means to be an Ashiqui Rasool. Hmm. You see those people who, you see those loud voices those are getting louder at the same time. Yes. 
बिल्कुल ऐसा हो रहा है एंड समटाइम्स सिस्टमेटिकली हो रहा है समटाइम्स ऑर्गेनिकली हो रहा है एट द स्टार्ट बहुत सिस्टमेटिकली हुआ था बट अब ऑबियसली देर इज़ अ लॉट ऑफ या देर इज़ अ लॉट ऑफ फोर्सिंग दैट दिस इज एंड इट्स ऑल ओवर इट्स अ ग्लोबल फिनमिना राइट दिस इज़ वट इट मीन्स टू बी एन अमेरिकन सो इट्स अ ग्लोबल फिनमिना दैट सम हाउ पीपल लेट्स ए कोट एंड कोट ऑन द प्रोग्रेसिव साइड और ऑन दी अदर एंड स्टिल हैव इन फिगर आउट हाउ टू एंगेज विद इट how to empathize with it um but yeah it's like i'm not permitted uh, like if i if i want i have love for my people i have love for my community but if i if i talk about something that i feel like is gone wrong or be being unfair then then they take away my right to say that right yeah. so so that is a, a limiting definition and on the other hand if i what what does it mean to be a traitor if you keep expanding it eventually the civilization is going to collapse yeah. it's going to be absurd and sometimes that's the scary part we've been working on the film for a year and it we look open up twitter and we're like it's already there it's already there you know vakarzaka is coming up and saying okay we're all going to have this hashtag we're going to catch this person on tiktok because we've decided he's outside the boundary of norms that i feel like I decided, and then everybody's on it. Yeah, and then the circle keeps. Yeah, and this mob virtual justice and mob virtual justice obviously is exponentially more difficult than mob justice. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, definitely. I think virtual, jo social media especially, is just like created a sort of uh, very easy, like broken down barriers for Virkul. people to, you know, collectivize, which is good in certain cases, but it yeah. also can lead to all of this. Um, So swipe I've seen the teaser it's extremely chilling and powerful um and obviously markedly different animations and you yeah. know the background uh, yeah. as opposed to share it the bus home yeah. it's very real you can probably sense that it's from a uh, you know some some sort of southern punjab city for example yeah. or something yeah. like that um and you can you can sense that it's very real and yeah. very very home yeah. unfortunately yeah. um and the hashtag itself which is again uh, it's amazing obviously but at the same time is haunting swipe right for wajibul qatil yeah. um what what is the brief overview of the film that you like to tell yeah. people um, yeah. and the message that you want to you know uh, give away i mean so the film is set in contemporary pakistan multan i would still call it if we're talking about in international genres it's still a cyberpunk film if mr robot is cyberpunk yeah, right yeah. so it doesn't have neon lights it doesn't have anything but it explores high tech low life yeah. it explores those ideas it's set in multan and it's uh, definitely uh, meant to be grounded a lot more in reality but with one one just changing one little element where there is one corporation that's made an app called i fatwa and you crowdsource fatwas with people instead of with being with a mufti it was meant for a mufti so it became it started off as a joke oh it's a tinder for mufti swipe right for wajib ka the left for mafi and then i explored that a little bit in my head uh and decided that oh it's going to get out of hand everybody's going to want to have a say in it so it's a film set with that that that's the premise that everyone's addicted to an app where you swipe right for wajib ka the left for mafi and if you have enough rights uh then bad things happen to the to the people so ob- and obviously it's, it it has a lot of themes going for it i think similar to the but some people are going to get a lot of reads on it uh but i think for me at the real heart of it is just uh seeing mumtaz qadri's son and feeling like i'm oh, feeling he's part of the yeah i'm he's a child 
right? And they are feeling like I failed him, feeling a lot of love for him, feeling a lot of sympathy for him, uh, that he will never have any other exposure. All he has are people surrounded around him who want to turn him into the next Qadri. I almost feel like he's a lost cause. Yeah. I can't engage with him. I think that loss of innocence of what we're doing with our children, I think that's at the heart of it. There's a lot of other things. I, I don't think that's the first thing that people will get at it, but I've been at um, a lot of jalsas where I, people would bring children. I remember Khadim Rizvi ke jalsa mein gaya research ke liye and this guy came up right next to me and they, did, they had done a terrific job. This is Karachi and they had done a terrific job at organizing. Obviously, the left in Pakistan is just never as good at organizing as they and they did it based on class so it was a working class community that was there it was not bought for they were genuinely there which was scary it looked like a rock and roll concert it looked like a rage against the machine concert because they had all these songs and everybody was singing it and the only difference was they were singing uh and they were so loud and they had bass at the back you know the music yeah yeah you had the you beats at the back banging that's the only thing missing yeah and and they had really good sound systems and the guy who was doing the sound usually does DJ concerts yoga. no it wasn't but it was karachi <laughs> so he, he was someone he's got the monopoly on everything <laughs> but he does uh, concerts and it, and then this guy comes in and he it was and i was obviously reading too much into it as well but it felt like he was in a lot of pain and he had he had his daughter a really cute kid and i was so scared ke bachche kyun le aayo and then I talked to him and he was like, I was like, God, but obviously I'm used to these things. So I keep my, my idea. It is a dispassionate engagement. I, is this not, does this happen often? I'm, because I'm not used no, to this stuff. So no, not this kind of person to person engagement. No, on a screen, sure. But obviously it's still jarring to hear that. But obviously part of my job is to be a bit dispassionate to try and understand what's going on here. But then I thought he'd say, ke, you know, ke liye, apne ke karne ke liye tiyar, iske liye bhi. but he was like, Khadim ke liye apni beti ki karne ke liye I'm like, what is going on here? So there's cer- certain things about how we are failing our children. I I was in Jamiat, my all of my family is from Jamaat Islami. And I know what it's like to, if I hadn't fallen in love, if I hadn't found some texts, if I hadn't found some people, I was being trained to be a leader in Jamaat. And I was probably going to be very good at it. I was always enterprising. And, and up until 16, I thought music is absolutely haram. So I know there is a journey forward that permutations that could have been there if people, if the society had given up on me. If people had thought I'm this barbaric, violent person, but people gave me a chance. People give me a chance, and uh, I think to think about so many children out there, including Mutas Kadri's son, because I see his picture from time to time, whose innocence have been taken away from them before they even know what that's yeah. like, who enjoy going to when something's being bur- uh, burned down. You see these pictures of teenagers having a really good time, and you go like, I can't hate them. They're 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 young, and so. A lot of that, I mean, I went on a tangent, but to answer no, that question, amazing. Yeah. The, I, for me, it is about loss of innocence at the heart of it uh, and how we are failing children. And this is going to get out of hand if we stay where we are. If we remain on this place, it's, it's going to get out of hand. Yeah, no, I'm going to go on a slight tangent as well. Mm-hmm. Um, your story 
is quite similar in certain elements with Majid Nawaz's story, if you, you were aware. Yeah, yeah. I know Majid Nawaz. Yeah. I know him personally as so, well. So, yeah. oh, that's... Yeah. Because, uh, like, obviously his story, for people who don't know, is that he was uh, a part of Hizbut Tahrir, yeah. which is an Islamist organization, yeah. got captured, and then obviously uh, went the other way uh, later. And so I the, the conversation I want to have with you, which is a great point you bring up regarding children and their innocence, and this is a general discussion and general topic that I've been, um, you know, reading about and looking up. S- because you have these children, because you have society in which you are dooming these children, so to speak. So you can basically, in most cases, you can say that you are dooming a four-year-old to a life that is in a certain context. How much personal agency can you assign to that four-year-old who then goes on to because it's important in this case because those people are yeah. ones that do all the mobilizing yeah. and that that, that stuff and then he's the same guy who's going to so osama bin laden was basically once a four-year-old yeah who was brought up in a society and in a way that hmm. made him osama bin laden as hmm. we know him hmm. Hmm. How what what are your thoughts on that and how much personal agency and kitni uh, vengeance do we need to remove that from you know our judgment of them? So I so for example I would say that I would answer with with a case study right Mumtaz Qadri assassinated Salman Tasir I spent four years three years really motivated by just and some lower level i wouldn't call it disgust but like at, at the act absolutely disgust but at the human being as well up until i really got my research down what happened that qadri was very much a symptom behind him was mufti hanif qureshi mufti ashraf al qadri they were the one now i don't want to say that he's really stupid but the way authority works in our society that they had told them that this is our tradition this is ancient this is how you have to do things and they had lied to him now he's still responsible and but it is important a to understand how you make a qadri how to make a qadri is crucial to understand so passion dispassion just very dispassionately just understanding analytically how that happens now as far as how much are we willing to forgive or maybe see them in an empathetic light not even to forgive like you can uh, like say that obviously they're responsible but at the same time, you probably maybe maybe do you need to adjust the lens in a way that you're looking up? Do you want, you know, some sort of like, are you looking at them from this sort of vengeance? I absolutely do. Said? Yeah, I absolutely think. I mean, that's the heart of, at the heart of our organization engage was to engage with the other community because the other community at the end of the day, all over the world in any civil right movement or any civil right conflict, the other community is at the heart is scared. So James Baldwin has always been an inspiration for me. It's been the guiding light for me on how we want to look at this, how we want to look at the conflict or the perpetrator, how yeah. we want to look at violence. And for him, he and no one calls him apologetic. That's the risk because if you're not nuanced enough, you could be like you're apologizing. Yeah, nuanced to chaligi aajkal, unfortunately. Yeah, but but like so Baldwin was like you know the white man. You know there's something that he that is corrupted that he's grown up with that his world turns upside down at the idea that a black man's going to be in my bus. And it's almost like physically and emotionally, he's experiencing something that the sun is just uh, coming from a different place altogether. And it, his sense of reality is completely changed. 
Now, there's obviously, we expect him to be mature about it. Now, on our case, there's so much fear-mongering that has happened. People think very terrible things about you and I. They wonder genuinely what our agenda might be. And I'm talking about the common non-thought leaders people. So I don't see a lot of sense in engaging with thought leaders who are lying, deliberately misrepresenting. But I do think there's a lot of sense in engaging with people we don't engage with, which is the which was the point of Shahri Pakistan as well. Why haven't we for 30 years bothered to explain in text or animation or any kind of video Ayn kya hota hai? Insani hakuk hain kya? We go straight to what you believe is barbaric, you are barbaric. But this privilege of knowledge that we have and the exposure that we have, wo saraiki mein kaha hai, wo pashto mein kaha hai, wo urdu mein kaha hai. Even when development sector projects are milte hain, you have these English projects with celebrities going like, you know, uh, unwoman, unbeat, those kind of things. And like, Urdu mein kar sakte hain aap. You can make it more accessible. So the whole point was to make it more accessible and, to, and try and have like a conversation. Ke, okay, we're not that different. I'm a bit scared of you. You are a bit scared of me. I want to explain to you that even what you say is violent. Can we talk? Is there a ground? And as far as children go, I think up until 18 especially, we have so much of our population that belongs to that percentage. Social media allows us access to people through a screen in a way that we can't do in person. So that old model of you know NGOs doing yeah. like Serena Hotel, mein 50 bande bithaye, workshops kraya, I, don't, I never understood yeah. that really. But to reach out to a million people with very specific interests, so anyone who likes Mufti Raki Usmani, anyone who likes Ashraful Qadri, anyone who's into tanzim islami I want him to see this video. I don't want you to be on yeah. Shari Pakistan. You already yeah. so So th- the whole thing that we've been preaching to the car for so long, and it's very easy to create these binaries that they've created as well. Now, and I face some resistance sometimes in the human, human rights community. Sometimes they understand it, sometimes they don't. But the intent at the end of the day is ke, um, to humanize this conflict a little bit and also to see if you think that the majority of violent, then might as well pack up and leave. But if you feel there is some humanity left in this society, then you're, then you're going to get up in the morning and you're going to go like, you know what, this is a fight worth fighting for. This is a fight that is possible to win. So it's even strategically, emotionally important to say that that's not only possible, but that's important to do, to not to use a new lens, to use a lens that humanizes uh, these actions. I didn't want Kadri to be hanged for two reasons. One, I if you're against death penalty, that goes for everyone. Yeah. Uh, number two, the real criminals were behind him and they were. it was a symptom. And also number three, the moment he died, uh, they turned him into an absolute saint. And then his power became, he became a superhero after that. Imagine like if 20 years later he did a press conference in which he said that, you know, what I did was wrong. And, you know, there's other, imagine if we had a chance to talk to him, people had a chance to talk to him, if he had a chance to reflect. And then all of those people who were rallying under his name and he comes out and he says, it's possible, people do it all over the world. Yeah, it happened. Uh, an interesting case was, I think, um, um, I think it was uh, Georgia's governor back in uh, when Jim Crow laws right. uh, were. So he uh, had a huge speech for segregation and, you know, hmm. having all of that. And then 
um he we made some sort of bad joke as well and everything that went along with it and then he stayed senator for i think the whole uh, century the, the remaining century and then i think in 1995 or something he came out and he said that obviously he was wrong and yeah. uh, that had a huge impact it would have him. a powerful yeah. impact yeah and with someone like qadri he was he's he's iconography of skegird so we turn him into an to to an absolute bigger than life creature yeah yeah um so how has the response been like uh, when you've had uh, when you've tried to engage in discussions with the other side so to speak um and then are you encouraged by what has happened or what has been achieved by sherry park so far so uh, f- the research part of it required me to the uh, the research into the articles and the uh, the report on engage pakistan and it's available on engagepakistan.com that required me to engage uh, a lot with thought leaders religious thought leaders i've never had the opportunity or the real logistics to have a masculine engagement with people uh, apart from my own khandan extended khandan because liaquat baloch farid pracha they've always been uncles i've grown up uh, them coming to our house so i could engage with them and i so i, I engage with a lot of thought leaders so i've talked to them where they've told me that they know that the blasphemy law is wrong where they've told me ke yeah beta lekin ye zaruri hai uh, wisdom required but there's a greater interest in lying right now than to lose this war against yeah, the secular yeah we'll get on to that in a yeah. bit in detail but for me the encouraging part i mean so that was an encouraging part for me however because i was like okay there's an opening here clearly there is it would have been difficult if it were a matter of interpretation if it's like obfuscating the truth if absolutely straight up lying then there's a story here for me the biggest engagement was the dawn article and its urdu translation because that was the fifth or fourth most read article in the past 10 years at dawn.com and that's on Bla- that's an article that's saying that the blasphemy law is based on false foundations now that's a very radical thing to say uh, salman tayasi said something much less radical but the way it was said allowed me a lot of engagements a lot of emails a lot of people used it across the world in academia but also state ministry judiciary it was being used it's i think that with the online animations that we did we did one for the parliamentary proceeding how was the law passed and what was wrong that's where i really found the power of small uh, videos rather than big reports yeah i think that's where i would find some encouragement i wouldn't say extremely encouraged so definitely people weren't definitely going like you know these qadiani qatl kardo kind of like the generic response Uh, on the other hand on shahri pakistan if we ever talk about a right that for example the right to profess your faith they would hate it and so that's on and off sometimes it's a good response but it is at, at least something new we get to talk to 50 to 52 districts we get to talk to community 60% of whom like oriya makbul that's what i want uh, and i think it's a long process before you can really decide if it's working or not but the process itself is rewarding because we're at least trying something new we can't follow that same thing that has failed across the world and over the past 30 years in our community we are failing i am failing i've been failing everybody's been failing on many fronts might not be our fault but it requires an intervention that's a little more creative and that try something new so the optimistic part for me has been small bits and pieces for example shared tabassum the at Karachi University people speaking up very passionately about missing persons 
because there's a kid that gets disintegrated. Uh, women talking about body politics and feminism very clearly, and men- people talking about mental health. So that's where the power of fiction came in really handy. That okay, we're at the heart of matters now, and engaging with students. So whenever we engage with students, so even with seminary students, sometimes we've hired them. I haven't had too much engagement, but with a couple of seminaries, there is this room that I see, almost a gap. If I were a corporate person, I would say there's a there's a there's a market entry jaga mojood that you can be the first entrant. There is a space there to to talk to these people, and there are people I know, um, Professor Ibrahim Musa, uh, who's working with Amar Khan Nasir Gujarawala. Me, he has a madrasa jama in Nusrat Ulum. And what they're trying to do is they're getting seminary students who are bright to, into MPhil programs and then eventually to Fulbright PhD programs. They've sent five to five to six over there to study history of religion, jurisprudence under under excellent exceptional uh, professors, Jewish professors, Muslim professors, atheist professors, um, Christian professors. So those kind of interventions really fascinate me, and I think overall, just fresh perspectives, fresh ways to do things that go beyond. There's an NGO that's doing workshops. in a physical space with 50 people in front of them yeah. half of them who are just there for lunch that's what you know i think i wouldn't be very optimistic about that approach yeah um just just on the radical islam and yeah. and where we are headed as a society i've always found it fa- well, fascinating and also unfortunate that whenever you listen to any uh, scholars i mean i'm excluding saudi arabia here for obvious reasons um but islamic scholars who are you know living abroad like um, let's say even from the arabic world like egypt or if you go west um uh, you know the us canada uh, uk the version of islam and the reality of islam for them and and that they're preaching and people are you know practicing there and that's going on there that's very different Mm. from the radical sort of you know islamist islam that we have here uh, i just wanted i was wondering how we came to this point how is our islam like hamara jo jo moashra uske andar islam ki jo ek the view or the lens that we look at like people look islam with it's very different from how islam actually is a and b how even modern islam people who are you know um, preaching or studying islam outside of pakistan are so where does that disconnect where did that come from i think number one somewhere along the line hum bahut jadeediyat ke andar ghus gaye the jadeed islam ke piche pad gaye the so bahut sare thinkers were interested in reforming islam and that was the first mistake where people like maududi israr uh, israr ahmed and a lot of thought leaders even uh, some uh, sayed qutb from egypt but influence south asia as other where m- modern islam is at the heart of a lot of these crises you wouldn't see a lot of terrorism emerging from traditional classical islam because yeah. because that has a room for a lot of competing thoughts the moment you have two contradictory position in one tradition then you're acknowledging it is fallible that this is a human understanding of religion on the other hand the moment you decide oh you know what forget islamic tradition because tradition inherently means multiple positions it has a past present future it's flexible but you go like i'm going to tell you what islam really says which implies there's one thing that islam yeah. has to say 
that's where you get re- into really tricky trouble. And these are very smart people, especially, I mean, not Sayyid Qutb, but Maududi, Isra, and Ahmadi, these are really intelligent people. They write very well. Their rhetoric is very good. And all of a sudden, you have modern state ideas, and you're mixing these Western ideas with, like, your own readings, and you disconnect from the tradition. One problem with that emerges directly is that you no longer have space for fallibility. So now when people are looking at Islam, they're thinking not Islamic tradition, they're not thinking Islamic history, they're thinking, what is Islam thing hmm. So even the question is, I always say, it's a very new thing. Islam is about Islam is about As opposed to 1200 years of people going like, Falana and then they would get a position, just can't be God was best. That human fallibility, which creates an interface, ke, oh, we're not really sure 100%, but that's, our, that's how we're going to look at things. That's written all across the past few decades. Zia onwards, as well as Piche, Jamaat e Hirar in 35, there are these milestone moments where uh, even traditional groups, Dioban Bredvi, which were revivalist group, but they were traditional, started becoming very, very political and modern in the way they organize and approach Islam. And South Asia, obviously, is also unfortunate. Like, our history is very violent. We've gone through a lot of trauma as a community. And somehow the instruments that the British left for us was ripe for authoritarianism. The way they did on us, then we decided to do it on Ahmadi communities right a few years later. So a very legalistic, legal world, which never was. It's a very white person way of looking at state as well as the fact that we were an extremely difficult community. We had the Ahmadi community, we had the Shia community, we had the Deoban Bredvi community, we had the Hindu community, and they were all fighting. Uh, they were rhetoric printing presses, they were ridiculing each other up until 1935. In 1927, they passed the first blasphemy law. So it's also unfortunate the circumstances of the kind of, so the kind of theology that the Ahmadi community had would offend the Christian community because of their beliefs in Jews. So it's also difficult. Uh, and at the end of the day also, obviously what our leaders have done, uh, our thought leaders have done. What, dif- what is different in sometimes I think some of the other countries, so obviously if you're in a Muslim minority country, it is in your best interest to get with the program, right? So you wanna be treated as an equal citizen, so you talk about equal citizenship. The premise of Shahri Pakistan and all of our work is that we need a new jurisprudence for equal citizenship because there is no one, there's none. We lived in a time of um, um, war and conquest, so you had conquest treaties, and those were agreements between the conquered and the ones that were conquered. So there is no such thing as a citizen. It's a modern concept, and that was just thirsted upon us without any philosophy. So Shahri doesn't have a philosophy. Citizenship does. So how do we develop our own? How does Shahri become more than Abashanda, that you live here, and has values embedded in them. Why has the secular elite, liberal elite, you and I, have not been able to give some indigenous meaning and value and source and purpose and philosophy under the idea of egalitarian values and citizenship? Um, So everybody's, the blame goes around, but obviously, apart from the very basic ones that, you know, the the, the leaders that did what they did from Bhutto 74 movement uh, and from the militaries allowing Ahrar to go away with what they did uh, or maybe first doing too much violence against them and then just giving in to Zia, obviously. And even right now, every election, it becomes easy and then you you have no integrity. 
and too many religious leaders become political activists and by definition political activism requires you to compromise so even right now you can go to darul ulum and still find maybe a richness there in religious practices because they're very isolated then you will at uh, jamia nemia uh, which was mufti names uh, the uh, you know who passed away his because he's a lot more politically active he's going to come on television shows so there's a, a lot of reasons there on the other hand someone like Mor- a place like morocco wasn't next to afghanistan didn't had us pressure didn't have dollars coming in people left it alone they passed the marrakesh declaration a few years ago which was beautiful and i'd not to romanticize but they're doing pretty well in the human rights record uh we are the only country who kill people for blasphemy under hud so either that means that we really figured out islam even is. saudi arabia yeah so saudi arabia will kill you for apostasy but a non muslim a non muslim insulting the prophet they don't have a law for it so we're the only country that kills both muslim and non muslim as had the ishka na matlab masla hai yeah and ishka sabse zyada ishka yeah and obviously the kind of ishka where you you know the kind where you're like oh tumne meri bandi ko dekha hai main maar dalunga that kind of ishka you know yeah. it's that kind of ishka yeah. if you want to call that love it's still Yeah. it's there and nothing else that's like, nothing else yeah everything else that you would okay so fine you can profess to love your uh, partner mm. like sure you can also do that bit although it's bad but if you're doing the other bit then you can say it's a little sense banti but we're not doing that bit but we're yeah. definitely doing this one um so relating this to cyber khilafat would you say cyber khilafat is the next step for where we're at right now when technology mixes with this <laughs> radical islam and and what's next for the genre itself so i mean cyber khilafat's commentary is pretty much on the present time even though so obviously that's not next it's fictional and it's very exaggerated uh, i mean uh, some some of it is still very absurd but the idea is that you know a couple of college kids uh, a girl tweets against a guy hashtags him names him and then all of a sudden you search his name and everybody's saying he's wajib al-qatl so we're already there as far as you know using tech to uh you know where you make your hashtags into crosshairs your hashtag is a crosshair that's it's a track that song we made as well that your hashtag literally can become a crosshair you can target someone it's easier and there's you know there are things that you can say uh somehow behind a screen that you will never say in person so you know jab aurat maar chuka tha तो जब लोग जिस किस्म की जबान इस्तेमाल कर रहे थे द स्क्रीन हेल्प्ड इट अगर वो स्क्रीन के फॉर्न स्क्रीन हटा देते और अचानक वो उन खातून के सामने बैठ जाते इन द मिडल ऑफ रेस्टोरेंट तो जो जबान इस्तेमाल कर रहे हैं उनकी बट दे वोट यूज सो द स्क्रीन डजेंट हेल्प इधर इट ब्रिंग्स सम इट्स ब्रिंग्स अ वेरी वायलेंस साइड आउट साइड ऑफ अस so but at the end of the day cyber khilafat there's a fictional thing it's a it's, we want to have fun with it as well it first and foremost tell, tell a good story it's not meant first and foremost for change or political change it's film uh it's fictional film and what's next is i want to do an anthology i want to do like so for example if love death and robot had a particular role i would love to do and i would love for other people to do it i would love for people to write graphic novels to write novels to write any kind of story short stories that because people already have those stories in mind is just that uh, maybe we're giving it a framework okay hey how about you explore these the, these anxieties that you're exploring separately you're ex- exploring the anxiety of technology separately a very fascist ruler separately 
are very extreme to Islam separately. How about you look at a Venn diagram and see where we're at when we're at the intersection of these three? And as far as the future is concerned, we are looking forward for a feature-length Tabassum film. Really? That's amazing. I mean, we're hoping for it. Uh, the thing is, we might have to crowdsource it instead, instead of uh, going with a production team, you know, even popular names, international names, who would dictate how we yeah. do it. Uh, so that thing starts, it's still pending announcement. Um, but we what we have and we know the world very well. I mean, we know what happened in 2030, 2040, 2050-2060. We know what laws were passed when. We know what kind of contracts were there. We know the history very well. So now it's very easy for us to tell human stories yeah. once we have the world built. So we know a story, a couple of stories that we want to tell. It's just, I think, uh, when the time is right, uh, after we're done with this and the documentary and a few other things, maybe um, we might start a campaign with, with Swipe, maybe even, uh, but like we might start production next year if all goes well. We might do it, but we definitely have a story. We have a story to tell in that world. And we get a lot of requests for that because there is there was a thing about the film that leaves you wanting more yeah, because, you know, you're definitely. like, okay, what's but next? The only bad thing about it was that I was like, it's over. It's, so already, over. it's already over, yeah. And so let's see, there's a demand and uh, I hope, uh, I may not direct it. I may take a back seat, but let's hope we can do it. Yeah, that that's great. I I would love it if you yeah. you made it into a full feature length film. So, um, what where do you think we are as a society right now in terms of you know the our socio political situation? And that I just don't mean that in terms of religion. Mm. I mean that in terms of where the state is, um, mm. with, with the political situation, everything that's happening right now, um, censorship, intolerance, um, the greater good stability piece all of that yeah. where do you think we're at and is there a way out i mean i mean these are dark times there's no other way to say it these are dark times and they seem to get darker a but however we can't afford to lose hope because if we do then move elsewhere or just forget it i can't afford to lose hope i can't afford to be pessimistic about these things Otherwise, I can't get up and do what I do. It is dark. Um, I do think, however, that we need to learn, number one, people who want to change something to respond rather than react. So much of what we do, what I do, what I've done and I've learned not to do is have a knee-jerk reaction as well. So how do we take something that has happened, process it, and then have a response that's more, more processed? Like an individual relationship as well. If you and I enter into a conflict and you say something that I feel is incredibly cruel, I could just react as opposed to I could process it and maybe respond in a way that's a visor yeah. that may lead to something positive. But to be honest, all of us, I think a kami puri dunya mein hai wo pyar ki hai, wo tenderness ki hai, gentleness ki hai. Yeah compassionate or empathy ki hai. I think and that I think comes through at a bigger scale can come through art and can come through an exploration of that through art and just communicating just being also the economic system we're in doesn't allow for a lot of you know even the kind of nine to five grueling systems that you have the 
everybody is in, is in some kind of a race doesn't allow for you to sit down for a bit and think about tenderness and gentleness and love when your boss is cruel to you and your boss has to be cruel to you because that's the only thing he has known because his boss was cruel to him or his father was cruel to him. So to break those cycles ranging from something as big as a state, you have to break. So, you know, capitalism, consumerism, all of those things are inherently cruel. What kind of love can you expect in a system like that? Like the kind that we have, a mix of whatever we have. I'm not necessarily commenting on the variables exactly of economic system, but what it allows, what we have seen it allow or not allow to do. And then just our own emotional processing to talk about things, to talk about trauma, to talk about pain, to talk about love. To express love, yeah. To express love, to, to, to marry for love or to, or to make choices that are our own. Uh, and then to not be disillusioned by it, to be kind, to be gentle, for that to be the cooler thing than to be like, you know, uh, irreverent and just, to, you know, to be passionate, to do things and be things that, uh, so at a personal level, it's missing, right? So all around us, we have men going to jobs that they hate and then coming back and not necessarily being very kind to their partners and women trapped in their homes eventually not to speak for all of them that they hate nobody's benefiting from it huh? so love and a culture of love requires a big overhaul and i'm not at all trained to be able to talk about that but what i do feel is that just being more emotionally aware being more loving in our personal lives to start with to be more tender to each other men being more tender and loving to each other expressing that to each other to, to maybe reimagine a new way of what it means to be a man, yeah. to be masculine. You don't have to lose it. You can still be masculine. Yeah. But what does that mean? How can, you, how can you reimagine that sexuality? How could you love with, with more of you? It's a healing thing. It's a beautiful thing. And I think it's the most powerful thing that the world has to offer. And I think we're missing out on it. Yeah, I think it says a lot in, the, in our society. It's... I think more it would ruffle more feathers if a couple expressed their love to each other on TV as opposed to two opposing clerics having a go at each other yeah. and saying that I should kill you yeah. or you ought to be killed. So, I mean, it's it's great that you you still haven't lost hope, but some of us are probably towards the end. I mean, it's very difficult to see how you're going to come back from... I'm sure you've heard that Atif Mia's latest talk was cancelled. And this is, so we're at almost exactly the same point, if not worse than when Abdus Salam had to leave the country and all of that. So we're worse. We're, yeah, we're, we're, we're way worse. worse. Yeah. Um, so which is obviously a bad thing. So for yeah. hope, if you're, if you're, you know, gunning for hope, that's, that's not a good thing. I mean, gotta think big picture, right? So communities go through hundred years of like absolute shit before things go better, right? So, so, Amer so what would you say? to what the African-American community has been has managed to do over hundreds of years, but they still might feel hopeless. Some of them might feel hopeful. They've achieved so much, but it took them time. And yes, things theoretically are supposed to get worse before they get better. And even you can see it in personal life as well. And, I, and again, as I said, as far as I am concerned, I can't afford to be pessimistic. Yeah. And that's something that I learned from James Baldwin. Someone asked him at a very critical time, and he said that, I can't afford to. 
I can't afford to think that things can't change. If I do, then I will just do something else. I'll yeah. move to France What's back again and write no yeah. novels. I'll just make an animation studio that just does corporate work, make some good money, or maybe just do music my whole life. Uh, there are things that you sacrifice for it. So music, for me, it was music that I didn't get to pursue music as much as I do. I would just do, do that. Do that. But if I want to pursue and commit to an institution, building an institution, a culture, training people, and do something which I feel is bigger than me, because it is nourishing at the end of the day to me, not because it's altruistic, but at the end of the day, it is nourishing for me. And that's fine. Yeah, and it's fine. In fact, that is, I think, what that awareness helps me yeah. move forward. Then I need to be, obviously, calculated. So I know, I mean, like, I guess there is some cynicism there because I always, I would imagine, didn't surprise me when Atif Mia's talk was canceled. So that does say something about me, that there is a bit of cynicism there. There's a disillusionment there. I would just say that I'm practical about risk. If someone says, oh, you got five death threats. So I wouldn't be like, oh my God, I got five death threats. I'd be like, okay, yeah, I got five death threats. <laughs> that is the community we're living in. But, but let's clip that. <laughs> no, but on the other hand, if we hadn't done the work that we had done, if Asma Jahangi hadn't done the work yeah. she had done, maybe I would have received 15. Right? So that's optimistic. Yeah, it's a punch. <laughs> uh, but moving on to death threats, if that never thought moving I'd make that segue. <laughs> but the blasphemy law. Yeah. Um, uh, so for people who don't know, um, Raf has done some extensive, and I mean the like in block letters, research and writing for Dawn, um, as well as a hugely detailed report by Engage, um, yeah. which is on their website. Um, it's called The Untold Truths of Pakistan's Blasphemy Laws. Um, fascinating work really enjoyed going through it and reading it um, so if you want to tell people a brief overview of the history of basically how so for people who don't know basically the blasphemy law in its current form wasn't always how like it's this is not the its initial form um, the parliamentary proceedings of 1986 yeah um, started this whole mess um, and then there was also the 1991 petition so just take it away from there so uh, the British gave us a couple of blasphemy laws. So every country that they left after they ruined it, they left them with penal codes that had 295. So a lot of countries you will see if you Google have 295. Pakistan had 295 and 295A because both of them were passed. Uh, 295A was passed in 1927. And that was offensive uh, remarks uh, against any religious community. And uh, as from what I understand, I think even uh, Jinnah did a yay for it. Uh, everybody was in agreement for it. The Hindu community, the Christian community, the Ahmadi community, everybody was in agreement for it. Um, then they all come under, uh, 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 they never, the word blasphemy never comes in our penal code or in our actually Urdu, Urdu conversation. It's a very Catholic term, but it's not an exact term. So, Shatme Rasul, Tawheen Risalat, Ahanat Rasul, those are the terms that are used. Then in Zia's time, uh, we had a couple more uh, adjustments. So we already had 295A, then he passed 295B, and then he passed 298A, B, and C. So all of these are various forms of blasphemy laws. Some of them are about Quran, some of them are directed at Ahle Tashi, uh, some of the two of them are uh, directed at the Ahmadi community. So they were clearly instruments through which you can, you know, marginalize particular communities. But the real... Uh, the real the, the one law that no one can touch is 295C. And the reason no one can touch it is because the state, the judiciary, and then later religious leaders had declared very clearly 
that this is divinely ordained. It's God's law. And that there is a consensus throughout time and space. It's always been God's law. That if you insult a prophet, you'll be killed. No ifs and buts. And that statement is factually incorrect. But that's not the only problem. When you pass a law, especially in Islamic law, you go through some juridical process, some process of legislation. You need a source. In our case, the story starts in 82, a very young Ansar Abbasi, a very young teenager Ansar Abbasi with advocate Ismail Qureshi, uh, who I got to meet a lot, went to Athana to file a case against a communist uh, literature in which they said they insulted the prophet. And they were like, okay, let's file 295A because that's what it's meant for. It's like, that doesn't have a death penalty, they should die. And they said, there's no such penal code provision. So they went to Shariat court, which at that time was not federal. The Shariat court made proceedings, but didn't really uh, make uska. Uh, meanwhile, 86 May, there were these group of people, Liaqat Baloch, who, strangely enough, every day he's, so my, my father uh, and I am the director of the company as well, he is at our office every day. Not my, but my father's office. So I might have a completely different setup. He's there every day. And uh, he, he I think, knows that I speak very clearly against it. Farid Prachato, I've debated in, okay. debated face-to-face in front of a public. But strangely enough, I think he might be our client at my father's. <laughs> anyway, so Liaqat Baloch and um, Asan Iqbal's mother, um, Begum Nisar Fatma, Tarawul uh, Haqqadri, there were these three, four people who, along with Ismail Qureshi and the bigger Khatman Nabuvat movement, were behind this. Ziaul Haq wasn't behind it at all. Yeah, so the thing with Ziaul Haq was that a lot of it's, it's, it's just lazy activism because you go like, Zia's law. So ret- rhetorically that might work, but you're missing the point. Yeah. Zia. Ziyad's government actually went on record in June, July 1986 and said that we don't need another law. We already have so many. And that might be under US pressure. Yeah. Who knows? For whatever reason, he was against yeah. it. And that's a very big thing to yeah. know. Okay, your Amir Mumlikat was against the yeah. law. So clearly it can't be divine. Yeah. Zia probably <laughs> can't say anything against a divine law. And then they filed a motion that and they scared them into uh, saying, oh, we do need another law. So on the day of the law, when we... Uh, this is 1991? This is 86. 1986. Okay. This is summer 1986. Then we go to September uh, 86. Now, proceedings are not And they are going to um, file a petition, a motion to amendment ki jai. make it amendment. And hua ye ke they said ke hamari ek private meeting hui thi jisme humne decide kiya ke hum maut bhi dalenge. Now Senate, uh, parliamentary rulings require that you give any amendments 48 hours before with print, cup, two copies and everything. And so when people said ke acha pas nahi hai, they said ke acha pencil se likhte So that for me is a very bizarre sight ke pencil se likhne, qatal ya maut ya whatever, something with such gravity. Yeah. And there was one dissenter, Hamza Saab, who kept saying ke what are we doing here, let's let's think get, about let's, 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 he, he explicitly said lawyers, human rights activists, uh, Islamic scholars, international scholars, and everyone was like, atom bomb three and to shut him up as well as to give a source of law 
they started giving ijma. So ijma means consensus. So that was used as a rhetorical device to completely shut any dissent. Okay, there's always been a consensus that you will be killed. No matter if you're a Muslim, if you're a non-Muslim, if you apologize, if you don't apologize, it doesn't matter, you'll be killed. And number two, as a source of law. So in Sunni canon, in Hanafi canon, it's a source of law. So if you, if you can prove something as an ijma, you can claim that, hey, this legislation needs to happen. So they gave like four to five texts as sources, and those four to five texts was never verified. They just named those texts, and then they also said that the curriculum is also The interesting thing is, all those texts, and strangely enough, which is our Darsan Nizami, which is the curriculum of the actual text, there is a lot of things. مسلمانوں کے لیے یہ ہے کہ آپ کو کلمہ پڑھنا پڑے گا اگر آپ نہیں پڑھیں گے تو آپ کو توہین کا نہیں پرچہ پڑے گا آپ کو ارتداد کا اپوسٹیسی کا پرچہ پڑے گا اور اپوسٹیسی کو اسی طرح بین کر دیا تھا جس طرح سلیوری کو بین کر دیا تھا بائی دی آٹمن امپائر اٹس اے تھنگ آف دا پاسٹ جسٹ لائک سلیوری از اینڈ اپوسٹیسی کین اسٹل بی ہینڈلڈ ایک بندہ اگر غلط الزام لگے وہ کلمہ پڑھ لے سپوز ٹو بی لائک آف اینڈ نان مسلمس کے اوپر تو بڑا کلیئرلی لکھا ہوا تھا کہ اگر آپ آپ اف یو آر ازراسٹرین یو سے گاڈ ہیز این اپوزٹ دیٹس بلاسفمس بٹ وی اسٹل پرووائڈ دیم ود دا رائٹ ٹو لائف اینڈ پراپرٹی پریمسڈ آن دوز بلیوس دیٹ از مور انسلٹنگ دین انسلٹنگ دا پروفٹ سنس وی ڈو ناٹ کل دیم فار دیٹ وی ول ناٹ کل دیم فار دیٹ سو دیٹ واز دا لاجک اکراس آل دوز ٹیکس دیٹ دے ور یوزنگ ٹو اسٹیٹ دی ادر جس لائک کل دیم کل دیم کل دیم ٹو دا پوائنٹ دیٹ دیر از اے جورسٹ ہو سینگ گیو دیم اے وربل وارننگ اے وربل وارننگ ہیئر وی آر پیپل ہو آر سینگ کین وی ڈو سکس ہیئرز اینڈ دے گیٹ کلڈ And if they do it again, then maybe punish them, but do not kill them. There was a prohibition. This is uh, Imam Tahavi, one of the biggest Hanafi jurists. So you have a whole history of like more than 50 texts that we've scanned in the book that you can go at engagepakistan.com. You download it. You've got the Arabic text. You've got the English translation, Urdu translation. You can have the proceedings. You can connect. Oh, he's talking about Fatawa Shami. What does Fatawa Shami say? He's talking about Fatawa Alamgiri. He's talking about uh, Ibn Abidin's um, text on... So, All of those are there, and you realize they were just lying. Yeah. And they were systematically lying. They knew they were lying. So Ismail Qureshi, when I met him, uh, the one who was the architect, he hadn't read any of this because he didn't know Arabic and there was no translation available. And he admitted it. He's like, yeah, I made a mistake. But, and he did the same thing in the Federal Shariat Court. First, it was just Ijma, and by the time we went to Federal Shariat Court, they just decided it was Had. And that then it becomes like an immutable law that you can use for whatever. And... Yeah. جب تک ہم ان دو ایون ایف یو ڈونٹ چینج دا لا یو ڈیسائڈ یو نو وائٹ وی آر بلڈ تھرسٹی نیشن سو دس از ناٹ نیسری اے ریلیجس لا وی ڈز ون اے کل یو اور وی آر سو افینڈیڈ وین اے کل یو سچ بولے نا سو اف یو ریموو دیز ٹو فیکچولی انکریکٹ تھنگس اٹ ٹیکس دا پینگ آؤٹ آف اٹ اٹ ریموز یو کین دین سی کہ اچھا ٹھیک ہے سو اٹس ناٹ گاڈز لا یو اگری ٹو اٹ And so, and people have agreed to it. And strangely enough, I found that people have been talking about it for decades. After the law was passed, there were these small journals between madrasa where scholars were saying, hey, second, that's not our tradition. Hanafi yeah. tradition says no. Yeah. So there's some something off here. And I would read that. I was like, this is so interesting. Television channels always call in the most sensationalist, polar opposite people. They would call in Ramdi Saab on one hand, Mufti Naim on one hand, make them fight. But these people who have written these essays in late 90s and early 2000s, they've never been called. But then on a social level, we saw the kind of misrepresentation that would just blow your mind. So if they would remove the word la, so if it said not killed, they would remove the word not and they would print it. They would say it reading from a text. We have video 
proof that someone's reading and he's reading in arabic someone as in um mufti ashraf al qadri okay so people oh okay. mufti ashraf al qadri pushing their own agendas basically he, uh, he was calling for salman tasi's assassination to prove that he was saying there's a consensus it's always been like that so no one can disagree to prove that he was using a text and which was ibn taymiyah's text on al-sahra al-sahra and 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 within that he when it came to their own his own school's position he removed not so it's the antithesis of it actually was and so clearly he knows but the people who are listening they don't know they don't know a these are very difficult texts genuinely you need to have you can't expect everyone to go open that book up and even if they do you need 16 years just like a lawyer it these are very difficult texts to grapple with so the kind of uh, abuse of authority that some of these people have done and then the kind of abuse of power that people have done by being silent so a lot of people that i've met uh, ranging are not met so mufti taqi usmani was caught on audio saying to people that yeah uh, in hanafi law you don't kill the non muslims and you forgive a muslim if he reads the kalma and someone recorded it in the classroom and released it in social media and then he was uh, given a punitive measure and he was asked to take it down so him going out of his way he never says the law is right but going out of the way to not stand for truth shows that uh we need interventions that come from us a eh? and also that we need to involve other muslim communities who why don't you have blasphemy laws but anyway these are just certain examples if people look at the text or the blog or even the some of the animations we've done they will see the actual evidence but the but the crux of the matter is that there has been a deliberate misrepresentation of the history not of quran not of sunnah not a different interpretation but the history of the islamic legal tradition and when you compare the texts that are used to legitimize the law to pass the law to interpret the law and ultimately to codify it as god's law they're all lies and when i say all lies in my experience they're all lies yeah. it's not rhetorically speaking and that means that there's a way of reimagining reforming the law without ruffling feathers it just needs so constitutional islamic ideology to cut report in this sign that we are going to use this it's just that we need some backbone on part of our elected representatives and we need to then maybe give them a language that doesn't that unke sari vote banks nahi khatam ho jate and at the same time they can do some good so for me you can do a lot of good without changing the law without changing a single sentence by just moving putting in some interpretations yeah misal ke taur par if someone reads the kalma right away so he's let go off so the law does not need to say that you can have a operating precedent in the judiciary that says that or that judiciary says that it does not apply to non muslims by the way yeah just like 298 b and c does not apply to anyone but ahmadis 298 um, uh, so 295 c only applies to muslims so these are you're not changing the letter of the law but you're saying oh this is what our tradition says we're elaborating on it so there are strategic ways in which without saying like you can defang the lies out of it eventually i don't think there's any point in saying hey let's abolish the law the point should be how do we protect those who are are the margins first before aapne agar chinin sonio kehna hai ki meri personal victory ho gayi hai those people who are on the margins who are at risk how do we bring them in and create a more equitable society and then we can look at principally humne kya baat karni hai and then it will be on human terms then it will be like okay this is not islamic issue it's an issue of you are offended yeah. what do you want to do maybe you want to put a fine in short put a fine in is it a civic um crime crime is it a crime? is is it 
not. But it's ne- definitely there is a way forward there yeah. as well. But the way the way the and I think that's the key part. The way it is right now, had kake doesn't allow us to have any conversations. Yes. Um, doesn't allow for any room in any sort of way. Um, so for people who don't know, and this is, and I I'm pretty sure a lot of people won't know Sunni jurisprudence fic me. Um, it's prohibited. Um, to you know, this kind of had lagana on blasphemy law. Um, even Abu Ala Madudi, um, yeah. you know, Maulana Abu Ala Madudi, um, one of the most conservative. um you know islamic scholars uh, that this country has seen even he has said that the uh, you know act of blasphemy doesn't leave non muslims liable to you know capital punishment by the state the question then becomes sure there's a misrepresent deliberate misrepresentation and you know um, setting forth your agendas by these people who are leaving out certain words and picking and choosing what to say why hasn't that happened in other countries i mean i'm sure they're pretty self-interested scholars let's say to use the term lightly hmm. um in other countries as well how how be given these people such room to have this much of an impact uh, with their agendas i would say there are a couple of reasons a i hope we're not speaking too soon because there are small movements in indonesia the small movements in egypt that would like hey we want one of those You know the one that you see in Pakistan. We want really, to, yeah, yeah. Especially in, in Indonesia. Because he's been among them, unfortunately. Yeah. So I hope that uh, the Muslim community overall can come together, because it is a Muslim community issue. Yeah. At the intersection of constitutional language and human rights issue, but it's also Islamic traditional issue. You can't. It doesn't even matter if you're a Muslim. Yeah. I've seen non-Muslims in other countries take more interest in Islamic jurisprudence than sometimes yeah. Muslims do. Yeah. Because it is part of your fabric tradition. Yeah. Anyway. Um, one i secondly i feel like our history the introduction of the ahmadi community was a big big threat for people because and that wasn't happening in other countries the way it happened in south asia and the way british played us and the way british played all the religious sects and the way the printing press was the news and how everyone was added with at each other's throats and then the way certain religious movements failed uh, the ones that were against partition so ehrar uh, was against partition and then they found themselves in pakistan now they don't have any political mileage anymore what do they do all of a sudden they register an ngo tehreek khatm nubuwat which is the most powerful ngo in pakistan i mean these are all ngos right we just don't call them ngos for yeah. some reason so these non-profit organizations have had a huge role to play uh and i think what we have allowed partly comes from our political system lack of civic engagement also a lot of imposing secular ideas so if we're in ayub's times it's very easy to just see pictures hey we, we used to dance bars and stuff bars and yeah, yeah. but like did we engage with the community uh did we talk to them before passing the fundamental rights where are these coming from or did we just copy paste something from another constitution what does it mean for elected representatives to give you these rights jab aapne buniyadi taur pe hi samjhaya hai nahi aur uske andar jo falsafa hai wo aapki mitti se nikla nahi to distance to hoga and the every every muslim community has faced that every post colonial country yeah. has faced that in our case obviously um Uh, us being next to Afghanistan, us being used by America didn't help. Dollars coming in didn't help. The way our state used 
uh, these religious groups for their benefit didn't help. But I think if it's a 150 years history, I think this strange permutation of Christian missionaries that the British brought, the Hindu community that always had been there, the Sunni Shia community, the Ahmadi community, and the friction in all of them at a time when everybody would talk openly against each other. And with the printing press and the kind of text that you find and the kind of language and the culture of offense that had started in which you weren't engaging, you were literally abusing each other. Yeah. You can trace it back to there for me. Um, so it's, that's partly it. Right now, I think also we have become very reactionary in any case. So even if it isn't about religion, things offend us, right? Someone wearing something, someone doing something easily yeah, offends us. Easy so that psychology of offense, why are we so offended? Uh, and I don't mean rhetorically, genuinely. We try to do some research on it, but someone needs to really do like a deep dive five-year PhD on the psychology of offense in Pakistan or psychology of offense. Like, do people um, want so to be some, So there's this professor from the NYU Stern Business uh, mm -hmm. School, Jonathan Haidt. Um, he's done a lot of research on not exactly offense, but disgust and stuff that we're seeing right now, especially, you know, in the West, mm. where we're seeing these different movements and uh, how people are exactly, not exactly the sort that we see here on Twitter, but basically mobs getting together yeah. virtually and hunting people down and all of that stuff. So that's that's pretty it's interesting. Similar. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's similar. very similar. So we need something like that for us as well. And I think it's strange almost like people want to be offended. There's a high to it as well. Yeah. Uh, there is what part of your brain gets lit up when you're offended, do some scans, figure out, uh, do primary interviews, sure, but also do something more scientific to understand and what are you compensating for. At the heart of all of it seems to me intuitively, not empirically, seems fear. Hmm. Like people are afraid. And what do you do when people are afraid? How do you counter fear? I think maybe those are bigger questions than later to grapple with. Yeah. Overall, don't be scared. It's just me, you know? You won't be scared if you knew me. Exactly. I think you're spot on because one of the things that, uh, because he's a social psycholo psychologist, he referenced Hitler. Um, and Hitler was a clean cleanliness freak. Mm. Um, and his whole idea was that he was, so essentially fear tha. But fear translated into disgust for mm. the Jewish community. And his whole, if you do a sort of like a psychological deep dive into it, it was like he wanted to clean, like cleanse. Yeah. What disgust while element. Oh, that's yes. the same if we see something un, like uh, unsavory or something like that. The yes. trigger response. And that, that's, I mean, not to that extent, but that's something that we can probably look no, towards. I, and I feel like I've read uh, this, a short form of this article. Because disgust, I remember being co constantly mentioned when I tried to look into it primarily at the start. Disgust is somewhat it as well. You weren't disgusted when Mrs. Fatali Khan in the late 80s uh, would sing about really things that were pushing the boundaries. In fact, Imran Khan is sitting with Amitabh Bachchan yeah. and he's going saying, sing it again. Now, if he were alive today, Imran Khan would just walk out. It's like, I don't want to be seen with him singing that. Yeah. And probably get killed or something. Yeah. And so why wasn't it disgusting then? Why does it disgust you now? Is it, are you disgusted by yourself? That's, that's a deep question. I mean, are you disgusted by yourself? And also, do you not... It's inherently not knowing the other person like you said. If you just got to know me, I'm yeah. and it's the same for every marginalized community. If you got to know them, you have way more alike 
Yeah. Then you do like all these social constructions of segregation, and you were more way more like than you know it meets the eye. Yeah. Um, just on lastly on the blasphemy law. Um, if I'm not wrong, Salman Taseer's assassination or murder, uh, however you want to call it, was the tipping point for a lot of the recent, I, I think, 2010s. Can there, जो आपने uptick देखा है in the everything related to blasphemy laws? Why is that the case, and how much of a difference has it been? It's sort of like it's just escalation. I really, I think I remember an interview uh, Christopher Nolan was giving for Dark Knight how the theme that he was interested in was escalation. that how every time joker did something and the response batman had was that of escalation and i think jim gordon even in that film talks about it uh, in in batman begins at the end of the batman begins what about escalation you bring this they'll bring automatic you'll bring that they'll bring so it gets heightened 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 i think the moment that happened when salman dasir said what he said without any value judgment on whether that was strategically correct or not it was it was an escalation then qadri comes in and he really escalates it then we have as a community we have a question to settle was he right was he wrong and then we have on television everywhere we have escalation and at that point even people who tried not to escalate weren't given room yeah. so javed ramdi was one of those people and his whole team who were trying to make sure hey let's not escalate let's calm down uh let's talk but he was given death threats and sent out of the country somehow escalating parties both on let's say the ngo circuit and like which i'm a part of let's say i'm not but like let's say i'm part of the symptom of that place that you escalate you don't respond you don't process you're not trying to understand the more you react you it's a cycle that keeps on escalating it's escalating and the qadri incident really before you know it you realized oh my god it's this high and ab main ye bhi nahi bol sakta ki is kanoon mein galtiyan hain so the official stance of every organizations then became kanoon misuse hota hai so you were escalating escal- and then you drop down yeah. here and i remember that time i used to attend a lot of human rights meeting and they were really angry as they should be and they had a right to express that anger but there was something in that language that felt alien to me because i came from a very different background and i listened to them and they were talking about how it was against this human rights and this was against geneva convention flana 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 and i was like main iska kya karu log iska kya kare why should they care they don't know what that convention no. is they never asked for it you no. signed it no they've never been explained yeah. to them mujhe bhi samajh nahi aa rahi aap kya keh rahe hain let alone them yeah. this was younger young days for me like let's say 5 years from jamiat 7 yeah. years from jamiat so i do feel like some of the language that we also had in reaction to that we didn't really know how to resonate with people not that i know okay we do now or i do now but we at least have an awareness right now that udhar se escalation hogi we need to continue telling stories we need to catch up and we need to make sure that we're not always reacting that we have our own original language conversation educational intervention storytelling cultural arts that is not just an escalation of the issue maybe blasphemy isn't something that's the shouldn't be at the center of every conversation maybe it should be civic education that should be at the center of every conversation 
and there are points where i need to put a check on myself okay, okay why am i so obsessed with this particular thing it is at the end of the day a symptom of something deeper and what i can get is it's anger okay, you've been lying yeah but if i have to think systemically the solution lies first at the heart apne panadol to dene hain but like the antibiotic is something else yeah so my documentary can't be oh gotcha it has to give some space for grace and room and redemption for people who may have misrepresented because it may not be that easy maybe if i were in the parliament it may not have been that easy for me to sit up and stand up and say okay, you know what because yeah. i have a wife back home let's say uh, i have children i have like grandchildren i'm scared for them it's maybe we need to figure out better ways but yeah i think it was escalate i i i define it as that part it, and that film and that what nolan said about escalation what happens for me as a, even as a conflict resolution idea of just being two parties it's just one and zero there's no gradation yeah there 5 10 10 12 takes on it have a gradation of takes on it what's happening with gender is something better because you have uh five six variations of feminism that you see across social media yeah. just not like oh one is this and one is that but unfortunately with this issue it was very much oh you have the hardcore godless human humanist seculars and the protector of the religion muslim community and there's n- no and in between no you got to pick us which is the majority of the community was not represented i would i'd argue at least right and just on the documentary then um hmm. it's a documentary on the history of the blasphemy laws like we like we've mentioned right now um any like uh, have you decided a date uh, can you give us more information so not uh, haven't decided dates it's it's a lot of interviews as well so it's a document it's a proper documentary yeah. and we're tr- trying to do we're still trying to figure out what's the right way to tell it what's okay. the sensitive way to tell it i have no interest in offending anyone yeah i have an interest in talking to people yeah you actually want those people to see it yeah that's, that's we want them to see it yeah. and i don't want to say oh ha you were wrong yeah. i want to ask you okay what do you think mm. what what do we do now mm. let's figure it out um but it is a combination of uh yeah uh, it would probably be it's the form is contemporary probably more looks like a long form vox documentary than a traditional documentary i can't really lock a date right now i do in uh, in officially but it's uh it's a difficult project that one is a difficult yeah. project it's i think it's 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 a burden on me sometimes because the stakes seem high because we do have we're sitting on very important information so it feels like okay it's a responsibility as well we have very good interviews uh, but the interviews are difficult sometimes to get there are certain interviews we didn't get because people don't want to see it on yeah. camera but i have my fingers crossed i think once we're done with swipe the i think by the end of the year people might have something the senate might have something to see as well I, you know they see things sometimes the human rights committee hopefully we can do some good with that hopefully we can create not just an awareness but a knowledge resource pool if someone wants to identify ke main aashiq rasool hu lekin main violence mein is tarah ki nahi karta to unke paas कोई आइडेंटिटी को मेंटेन करने के लिए तरीका रिसोर्स मौजूद हो होपफुली इट कैन एक्ट एज दैट एज वेल नो डेफिनेटली मैन एंड आई मीन यू आर डूइंग सम एब्सोल्युटली वंडरफुल वर्क एंड इवन फॉर पीपल लाइक मी हु प्रोबब्ली हैव अ लॉट लेस होप देन यू डू आई एम जस्ट ग्लैड दैट पीपल लाइक यू आर अराउंड 
and you have the hope that uh, you do which allows you to work this way thank you so much thank for coming on the show it's been an absolute pleasure thank you um, probably the most fun conversation i've had uh, on this um i hope you return uh whenever when whenever you release your documentary i hope to talk to you again soon yeah. um everyone listening please go check out rafat's um long list of uh content i say like for now swipe film go there because that's the first thing that they'll see yeah, so, so you want to plug that yeah for, so instagram slash swipe film um it's releasing 31st october so that's just what six days away yeah yeah that that's a scary thought <laughs> and uh it's going to be accessible for everyone it's not meant for festivals for white people to go and watch and f- take dear sal before our own people can see it so please watch it uh share it and uh follow it for uh, th- we're going to share uh, some screenings virtual screening links there as yeah. well so you can check that out it's a uh, facebook as well uh just if you go to instagram there's a teaser and other links as well so just follow that and once you're done watching that then uh, then we'll talk about other things <laughs> otherwise you have got shari pakistan and hashia yeah. which are like uh, critical history and civic yeah. engagement pages you can easily check that out as well and puffball is basically really in the animation studio oh. in which we do the fictional filmmaking yeah. uh so yeah hopefully hopefully this works out well hopefully we're going to hopefully people uh take from the film what it is meant to be and we're all good to come back here and talk about the next yeah. step yeah we're, we're wishing you the best of luck thank we're you gonna, so much um uh, you know put the links down below for everything that you've just uh talked about um once again thank you so much it's been an absolute pleasure until next time take it easy <laughs>